So from time to time, I actually do get the opportunity to uh, go into the pulpit and deliver a sermon. And I had that uh, chance to do that today and managed to think to actually uh, hit the record button on my phone and record it. And so I am going to share that with you is this podcast uh, from The Eclectic Monk. The name of the sermon was uh, Born to be Free. And um, if you're curious about what I believe, I think this, this sermon will explain it pretty well because my heart's pretty much laid out there on this one. It's all about freedom. I hope you enjoy it, and God bless. Your Bibles, I would encourage you to open to Galatians chapter 5. We're looking at the first 15 verses of Galatians chapter 5 this morning as we finish up the uh, sermon series on freedom. Freedom. I had the privilege a couple of weeks ago now to uh, serve at Vacation Bible School. Uh, and I got the great job. I got to be the storyteller at Vacation Bible School, uh, which was a lot of fun. And uh, on the Wednesday night, the, the third night we were there, I got to tell the story about the, the road to Emmaus, right? The disciples, remember, Jesus has been crucified uh, and the disciples are, are distraught. They're upset, they're, they're angry, they're afraid, they're sad. And uh, these two, Cleopas and another unnamed disciple, decide to get out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's very hot at that point for uh, these Jesus followers, and so they're trying to get out of town. They hear disturbing news that the ladies had gone to the tomb and there was nobody there. They didn't know what to do with that. So they're just talking and they're walking down the road. And a stranger joins them as they're going along and asks, you know, what, what are you guys talking about? And they say, you know, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't know what just happened? And they begin telling them about Jesus, this great prophet that they thought was the Messiah. And they were, you know, so sad because he was gone. And the stranger begins explaining from the Old Testament, from the Torah, and from the prophets that all these things had to happen to the Messiah. And they're really, you know, enjoying this conversation. Get to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem, and invite this stranger to come have dinner and stay with them. And as he comes and they sit down for dinner and he takes the bread and he breaks it and blesses it, their eyes are open. They realize it was Jesus the whole time. And Jesus is alive. And that was the point of the lesson that night was that Jesus is alive. Jesus is real. Jesus is a real person. And he really died. He was completely dead. He died on the cross. And then he rose from the dead. And he's alive and well today. Amen? Amen. That's good news. So after I'd done the lesson, the kids had broken up. Um, Grayson, who, who was baptized last week, if you remember that, Grayson came up to me after. And he said, Mark, so why, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to die? And I thought, that's a great question. So I said, let's go sit down and talk about that. And we sat and we talked about it. And Now, I love the gospel. I love the gospel because it's, you can dive into the deep end of theological thought and, and intellectual activity and never plumb the bottom of it, right? I mean, me and, me and David can talk about the ancient Gnostics and second century development of theological thought. Council of Nicaea and all that stuff, and that means nothing to any of you here. And that is not what I talked to Grayson about, just so you know. So. But the gospel is also very simple, right? And so I sat down with this, 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 this young man, and I said, look, 
What happened is Adam rebelled against God. Adam sinned. He did what God told him not to do. And because of that, all of us are born with this spirit of rebellion. We're all born with this thing inside of us that wants to do it my way. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, the way I want to do it. And if God says no, I say no to God and I do what I want. That's called sin. The essence of sin is rebellion. And that's our problem. I said because of that, because we have this sin and God is perfect and holy, then God, we were separated from him by that sin. And now the only way for sin to be taken care of is through death. The wages of sin is death. Someone had to die. But God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, who was the perfect, sinless man. And on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the penalty for all of our sins, for all of our transgressions, all of our rebellions. Jesus took that upon himself. And as he died on the cross, when Jesus says, it is finished, he wasn't saying, oh, I've done all I can do. I've endured as much as I can and I'm leaving now. No, he was saying that the payment for the sins of man was complete. It's done. And then he died. And then he rose from the dead on the third day. And that's God's seal of approval saying that the sacrifice is complete. The sacrifice is acceptable. And now the sins of man have been paid for. And if we, by faith, enter into this relationship with Christ, our sins are forgiven, we're made clean, new creations in Christ, and now we're alive. And we have a relationship with the Holy God. The door is open, the bridge is built, the wall of separation is torn down, and we now are free in Christ. That's the gospel. Because of his death and resurrection, Christ has secured freedom for us. Freedom for as many as will come to him. If we will follow and trust in him, we have freedom. We have freedom from the consequences of our rebellion. You know what that means? That means that all of those things you did have been covered up. God does not look at you and see your sin. He doesn't see that which separates you from him. He sees his holiness in you because of Christ. We're free from the consequence of sin. That's good news. And because of that, we also are now free to live lives of eternal purpose. We're free to live lives of eternal purpose, free from the fear of death. Now, this is a big one for me. Because I find so many people still live with this terror of letting go of this world, right? Right? And, and I'm not saying that you know we should all rush out, you know, and take the cyanide. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is because what Christ has done in us, we are free now from the fear of death. Death has no power over us. We are living forever. This is your eternal life. Are you enjoying it? See, eternal life doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts when you are born again by the power of God. You become a new creation in Christ. He comes. The old man is put away. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That was the last sermon I did back in Galatians chapter 2, by the way. But we're alive. 
And you're not going to die. Yes, this flesh is going to fail. Yes, we're all getting older. I'm getting older than most of you. Yes, my knee doesn't work the way it used to. Yes, we are all going to pass on. But because we are in Christ, we are free from the fear of that. And we're actually should be looking forward to this incredible homecoming that he has prepared for us. For Jesus said, I'm going to play, prepare a place for you. I'm kind of looking forward to getting there. We're free. And because there's no fear of death and there's no fear of life, my friends, we can live lives of eternal purpose, focused on the kingdom of God, giving of ourselves, living for something bigger than just the accumulation of wealth and stuff that is all going to be dust in a thousand years anyway. Right? Isn't that exciting? We're free. We're also free to love radically. We're free to love in ways that the world does not understand. Right? We're free. We're free to be followers of Jesus. And where Jesus leads us, he's leading us into the brokenness and the pain and the hurt of this planet, of this world, of this society, of this community. And he's calling us to love these broken people so that they will understand Jesus. That's what it's all about. And we're free to do that. Paul says in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, we're free in Christ. That's the gospel. So why do we struggle with it? Why do we struggle with it? Why do we prefer rules over liberty? Why are we more comfortable with someone telling us what to do so I can do what I'm told than we are running in this wide open field of freedom that is the mercy and grace of God? Why is it harder to trust in grace than it is in our own efforts? That's the, that's the big question that Paul is dealing with in this passage here in Galatians 5. And it's the big problem that I think we in the church today, big C, church everywhere, I think we struggle with figuring this out. Yep. So let's look at chapter, chapter 5, at verse 2, picking up. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision count for anything, but only faith working through love. So what's the problem? To really understand it, I have to give you a little bit of a history lesson. You okay with history? Because I like it. Um, one of the things we always have to remember is context, right? In this early development of the church, back in the first centuries, Christianity begins started, it starts as a Jewish sect, right? 
It is really, the, for, for, from the Roman perspective, remember, it's a Roman-dominated world. And the Jews were just this ethnic group of people who had their own distinct belief system, their own religious practice, and the Romans tolerated that. But within that, there were all these different little separate sects already. I mean, Judaism is a fragmented religious system. And Christianity comes out of that. And for the Romans, it just looked like another Jewish thing. So, you know, I mean, they saw the, the, uh, the Pharisees and the Essenes and the Sadducees and the Christians. They just all looked the same to them. And, and think about it this way. For the average person driving through Paulding County this morning, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Church of God. We all look the same. We're parking lots full of cars with crosses on the building. They don't understand what's going on in here. See, it's not much different today than it was then. In fact, I would say our culture is, has a lot more in common with first century Rome than we understand. And there's this big problem. As Christianity moves out of its Jewish center, it leaves Jerusalem and starts moving out into the non-Jewish, into the Gentile world. One of the first big questions that came up was, do you have to be a Jew to be a Christian? That was, that was the challenge. And you, if you think about it, you can understand, as we're taking this message out, is what do you have to do? Do we have to be in the club to be part of the club, in a way? Now, Galatians, interesting letter, you know, it's written between AD 40 and 50. It's one of the earliest Christian writings we have. To put that in perspective, the Gospel of Mark, which is most scholars consider the first of the Gospels to be written, written around AD 60 to 65, 20, 25 years after Galatians is written. And so as Paul and the early apostles are going out into this Gentile world, taking this incredible news about this risen Jesus out into these places, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have 2,000 years of theological thought. They didn't have a well-developed doctrine. They didn't have all of these things that we take for granted. They really didn't have a clue. They had oral traditions, eyewitness accounts, and some stories that were being told that were changing lives. Because guess what? The Spirit of God is what changes lives. Amen. And so the Holy Spirit is moving out and doing all these incredible things. And so these people are, are receiving this good news. Their lives are being transformed by this good news. But then they start trying to figure out, well, what do I do with this? So it's easy to look and be critical of these early believers. But we kind of have to stand at ground zero with them and understand what's going on. This is a really difficult challenge. And the real truth is, the same difficult challenge faces us today because I have a question. Is Christianity a religious practice or is it a walk of faith? Say that again. Is Christianity a religious practice or is it a walk of faith? Is it something else? Are we saved by what we do? Or are we saved by what Christ, by faith, has done in us according to his grace? See, Judaism is a religion. It has all kind of rules. It has the law. There are sacrifices to be made, there are holidays to be kept, there are things to be done, things to abstain from that make you a good practicer of this religion. 
And Paul is saying to the world, the walk of faith in Christ, Christ following is not a religion. It's something else. It's something new. It's something different. We don't have to work at reaching God. God has reached down to us through his son Christ. Right? And so Paul says that the law is of no use to the Jesus follower. He says, look, in fact, if we submit to one piece of the law, and that was the thing that these these teachers were coming, these Jewish Christians, they were Jesus followers, but in their mind, you have to be a Jew. So they're coming into these communities saying, look, if you want to be one of us, you must first be circumcised. That'd be a hard sell in today's culture, but that's what they were selling. You have to be circumcised. You must become one of us. You have to be in the club before you can be a follower of Jesus. To be a Christian, you must become a Jew first. Paul says, look, if you submit to one part of the law, you're now obligated to keep the whole law. If you want to you know, follow this piece of it, you pick this out, I think I should do this, then you are now in the law. And ultimately, there's no way for us to save ourselves by the law. That is what the law was for, was to show that faith in God was the way. It's impossible to please God without faith. Amen. That's right. Right? And all the law did was just reveal how sinful and broken humanity is and how terrible we are and how we can't be good enough for God. So we need a Savior. We need Jesus. We're all sinners and fall short. And our only hope is faith working through love. Paul continues. Verse 7. He said, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I like that. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. King James says, we just cut themselves off. And in the context of circumcision, that is a pretty scary thing. Things you didn't know were in the Bible. I've always wanted to read that one in church. No, no. <laughs> look, Paul's making two very important points here. The first one is this. Paul is saying, look, it was not the law that drew you into this relationship. It wasn't the law. He said you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Because it was the truth of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was transforming these Gentile, pagan, horribly pagan communities. I don't have time to go into all of the terrible religious practices and social norms that were in first century Rome in this region of Galatia that Paul is writing to. But I'm telling you, if you think America is bad, we ain't got nothing on Rome. Nothing. It was brutal. It was decadent. And into this comes this message. 
That you're separated from God, but there's now a way to have reconciliation with him, have relationship with him. And it's through understanding this truth, this wonderful, incredible truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He's alive and well. He wants you. And by him, his spirit, he will transform you and make you into something that you never were before. That's, Paul said, what drew you in. It wasn't someone coming up and giving you a list of rules and saying, if you want to be right with God, here's the way. Do these things and don't do these things. The other big point Paul makes is, look, so I know what these guys are saying. These guys are saying that I am saying that I'm for circumcision too, and that's a lie. He said, because if I was preaching circumcision, why are the Jews trying to kill me everywhere I go? Which was Paul's normal experience. Everywhere he would go, every town he would go into, first he went to the synagogue, made them angry, and then they would try to kill him, and then he would move off to the non-Jews, and then they would get saved, and then he would move to the next town before he got killed. That was Paul's life. Come, follow Jesus. Be stoned and left for dead outside the city gates. We have no fear of death. We have freedom in Christ. We are free to live lives of eternal purpose. We are free to live lives that matter. We are free to sacrifice ourselves for the good of the kingdom of God and enter into a reward of eternal glory. That's what it's about, friends. Paul said, look, don't listen to these guys. They're lying to you. Doesn't even make any sense. And then he said that thing, right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. What he's saying is, a little religion ruins everything. A little religion ruins everything. And he says we have a choice. We have a choice in this matter. We can trust in the simple truth of the gospel that says that we have been transformed by him. That is, that we have been born again. That the old has been put away. That we become a new creation in Christ. That we have been transformed by the power of his spirit. That he is alive in us. And that by faith we are walking in the power of his resurrection. We can trust in that, or we can trust in our ability to keep them all, to follow the rules, to do these things, and don't do those things. We call that the, the spiritual checklist, right? We all know the spiritual checklist. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Go to church. Extra points if you serve or go more than once a week. Give your money. Extra points if you give to the homeless guy on the side of the road. Right. Put a fish on your car so that you drive better because you know somebody will be watching. <laughs> Have a Jesus magnet on your refrigerator. Probably the 23rd Psalm posted somewhere in your bedroom. All these things. Do these things and you'll be okay. Oh, but then there's the don'ts, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't beat your wife, don't smoke grass, don't cheat, don't, you know, run around, just, you know, be nice, hold your tongue, don't do those things. As long as you do the do's and don't the don'ts, you're okay with God. 
Right? Amen. Right? Now look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we should do any of the don'ts or we shouldn't do any of the do's. That's not, not what I'm saying. Please hear me. What I am saying is that your redemption is not based on anything you do, except receive by faith the truth that Jesus Christ is and is alive and well today and desires to have a relationship with you. That is where our faith must lie. If we're trusting in anyone else, our faith is in the wrong person. If your faith is in you, you're in trouble. If your faith is in me, you're in real trouble. Our faith is in Christ. And this is something that I really think we have to grab hold of. We have to understand that this Christian faith, this walk of faith, is not a performance-based religion. It is something entirely different. It's new. It's never been done this way before. And that's why people have struggled with it for 2,000 years. It's just so much easier. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me what not to do and I'll try hard. I'll do it anyway, but I'll be sorry about it. We like our religion, folks. But religion puts the power in our hands. It gives us the control. It gives us what we need. Because this walk by faith stuff, it's scary. I'll never forget, it was 1997. And um, 1997, the Lord called Jamie and I to step out in faith and so I quit my job uh, with FedEx that I'd had for almost 14 years and we sold our house and we packed up our four young children and we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota from Dallas, Georgia. That was a culture shock and and we were there going to missionary school and every uh, fall at Bethany College of Missions where we're at every fall they have what they call the Deeper Life Conference and so it's just a, a, a weekend, long weekend conference where uh, it's all about growing deeper in your faith and, and spiritual life and I don't I don't remember which night it was I know it was night, I don't remember which evening and I, I don't remember who the speaker was and, and I don't remember what the message was all I remember was that at the end of it I'm at the altar in tears because I felt this great burden. And I remember I was sitting there saying, you know, God, I've given up my job. I've given up my house. I've given up my friends. I've packed up everything that's precious to me and we've come to this foreign land. And I feel like it's not enough. What more can I do? What more can I give? What is it that you want from me so that I will know that I'm on the right track? I'm sitting there praying at the altar. And as I'm praying, I I felt a hand rest on my shoulder. And, um, which is not unusual. I, I figured, you know, well, that's one of my friends or one of my teachers or something. And, I did what you know, I did the holy glance. So he was standing back there. There was nobody standing there. But I still very powerfully felt that hand on my shoulder. 
So I realized that the Lord was there. And he spoke to me, and, and again, it's not, you know, it wasn't like an audible voice. It didn't come over the loudspeakers so everybody could hear. It was a very still, quiet voice in my heart, in my mind. And the Lord very gently said, Mark, because he, he knows my name, you know. <laughs> he does. He said, Mark, he said, I love you. And I, I love you not because of what you can do or because of what you have done. I love you simply because you are. And I love you because you're mine. And so you don't need to worry about what you're going to do. You'll know what to do when the time comes. Rest in my love for you. Hand lifted. And I got up from the altar a changed person. I understood maybe for the first time in my Christian walk, that I'm not a circus animal performing for treats from some superior life form, right? But doesn't it feel that way sometimes? I'm not some insignificant small thing that is striving to please some galactic overlord. No. I'm a child of God. I'm a brother of Jesus Christ, which makes me a co-heir of the kingdom of God. And he loves me. And he loves you. He loves you so much that he gave himself for you. He loves you. And he's not sitting in heaven going, oh, I missed the checklist today. He just wants to live your life with you. He wants to be one step ahead of you. We're called to be what? Jesus followers. Jesus, all he wants to be is one step ahead of us so that he can turn around and say, oh, by the way, do this. And we say, yes, sir, and we do that. That's it. We walk by faith. And we're free. We're free from the shackles of duty and obligation. The checklist is worthless, folks. Absolutely worthless. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. My friends, we are free to run wild through the open field of God's grace. And to enjoy relationship. Relationship. With our Creator. Amen. We're free. Paul continues in verse 13. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. Christ died so that we could be free, but not free to sin. You're not free to be, you know, selfishly indulgent. 
You're not free. You're not free to take what you want. We're free to love. We're free to serve. Free to give. Free to live unselfishly. Free to sacrifice ourselves knowing that our future is secure. You understand your future is secure, right? That Jesus himself has prepared a place for us that we might dwell with him. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Brothers and sisters, we are called to freedom, not slavery. We are not called to be in bondage to the rules. We're not called to be in bondage to the expectations and the obligations and all of those things. We're called to be free. Free in Christ. Free to love. What does that love look like? I think. I think it looks like a community of faith that cares about one another enough to sacrifice to meet the needs of the community. We serve because we love. By the way, if you're looking for a place to serve, our children's ministry and our first impressions ministry needs you. If you will stop at the desk on the way out, find someone, I promise you, if you need a place to serve, we will find a place for you. We serve because we love. Love looks like a group of Jesus followers who take their faith outside the walls of the church. To engage and encourage a hopeless, hurting world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We share because we love. We have the answer. We have the most precious thing. We have the treasure in our hands. And we're called by our Lord to go give it away. Talk to your neighbor. Your co-worker. The girl. At the grocery store. It looks like a band of disciples who take all they have, time, talent, and treasure, and freely offer it up to be used for the building of God's kingdom. We give because we love. And none of it belongs to us anyway. It's all his. He gave us these incredible gifts that we might pour them back into his work. Ultimately, it looks like a family of broken people who gather together to sing praises, to study the scripture, and cling to one another for support in the storms of life. Friends, we worship because we love. We worship because we love. And we love not because we have to, but because he first loved us. God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we were far away from them in our rebellion. That's good news. That's good news. As the band comes up, I'm going to ask you, could you, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? I wonder today, how are we loving? How are we loving? Are we, are we living by that checklist? 
Or are we living in relationship with Jesus? Are we really walking with him? Or are we just trying to perform well? Are we living by the law or are we resting in our own performance? I wonder, how is your love life? Would you pray with me, Father? Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. We can't do this on our own. And Lord, I pray for these who are here today, for those who may be listening elsewhere. Well, they will grab hold of this incredible idea that we are not just here to perform, but we are here to live with you as you live in us. Renew our sense of wonder. Help us, Lord, to regain the first love sense of excitement when we met you for the first time. Help us to understand that you love us because we are and we are yours. Nothing else. And prepare us, Lord, to walk in the good works that you have laid before us and designed us to accomplish for your own purpose. Lord, have your way in the hearts of your people today, we pray in Jesus' name. really do appreciate you listening to the podcast and I I do hope that you would share this with your uh, friends Uh, just send them the link um, for whatever um, outlet you're listening to me on there's four or five that I'm actually on now which is pretty cool Um, if there's a place on your app to like this I'd appreciate it if there's a place to rate it that'd be great Uh, if you have feedback for me uh, if you know me just send me a text. Uh, if you don't know me, you can go to theeclecticmonk.com and you'll find in the contact, there's an email. I would love to have your email address. I would love to get to know you. I would love to share um, my adventure with you. And so again, I, I appreciate you, uh, fellow travelers, all nine of you. If you are one of the nine, hold up your hand and uh, know that you are sincerely appreciated and loved. Till we meet again, have a great day and God bless you.